How you find satisfaction in life is to seek and find God. I find satisfaction in life through making others happy. Satisfaction is pretty good to me. I find satisfaction in life through spending time with my family and friends and just being able to enjoy life to the fullest. Most people find satisfaction usually by pursuing their desires. Go to work. My chimney. Go to work. How's everybody doing? That was okay. One more time. How's everybody doing? There we go. All right. Well, if you missed last week, my name is Chase Gardner. I'm the pastor of adult learning here at Hope Community Church. Uh, usually there's a much older and wiser gentleman speaking, um, but I'm taking the next few weeks. We're in a five-week series called Big Questions, Honest Answers, and we're going to the book of Psalms to help kind of answer some of the big questions in life. And we are actually in week two. Last week we talked about how do I find success in life. And what we discovered through the book of the Psalms is that there's not limitless options of the road towards success. There's only two roads, one that leads to failure, one that leads to success. And the difference between the person that's on the wrong road and the right road is that one person is influenced by the world and the person on the right road is influenced by the Word of God. And I gave a 30-day challenge last weekend to read through the Psalms in 30 days. So how many of you guys took on that challenge and were successful? Okay. <laughs> how many of you took on that challenge? Yeah, all right. Monday and Tuesday going strong. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Ah, uh, it gets a little bit harder. If you can't keep up the five Psalms a day, don't worry about it. Just do one, just do two. Take the 90-day challenge, okay? It's brand new. And so this week, we're talking about how do I find satisfaction in life? And so this question, it's loosely related to the first one. If you asked a, a person uh, these two questions in a row, they'd probably answer it the exact same way. But the Bible talks a bit more about satisfaction than it does success. And so uh, this question, how do I find satisfaction in life, it's going to lead us to some pretty deep truths. And if I'm honest with you this weekend, I have to admit that Besides a crystal clear gospel presentation, this is one of the most important messages that I could ever give. I remember um, asking this question all throughout high school and all throughout college, and I remember uh, when I first heard the truth of what I'm going to tell you this weekend. I was in a hotel room uh, in Manhattan, New York City. My parents had brought me there on a senior trip, and I was reading some John Piper and some Sam Storms, and, and I heard these truths that you're going to hear, and it completely changed my life. It turned my life upside down. I remember reading it and praying and then getting up and literally dancing. These truths are so good and so profound. And, and the reason um, that these truths are so important and this question is so important is that um, Christianity, especially modern Christianity, has done a really horrible job at dealing with this question. Uh, the old saints, the old teachers, the reformers, all the church fathers, they talked about this topic of satisfaction almost incessantly, but for some reason now it's kind of unfamiliar ground. And because of this, most people have a really unattractive and untrue and unbiblical view of Christianity. And some of you are feeling even weird now. Say, are we gonna, really going to answer this question in church? How do I find satisfaction? You just know you're going to get Jesus juked halfway through, right? What's the answer to satisfaction? It's Bible study and prayer and evangelism and service. You don't like it? Tough, right? <laughs> and, and if you ask some Christians today, how do you find satisfaction in life, especially the serious ones, they might look at you kind of weird and say, I, I don't know, I think that's what heaven's for. 
Or maybe they'll look at you a little bit weirder and kind of stare at you and say, I'm pretty sure that's a sinful question, and we should get back to serving Jesus, you know? Very serious approach. And so we don't talk about this topic of satisfaction, but, but in my uh, view, in this way, modern Christianity has really done a disservice to the world. Because every single person in this room this weekend, at all three campuses, this is the premier question on our heart. How do we find satisfaction? A really smart man we're going to be hearing from tonight named Blaise Pascal, he wrote this. All men seek happiness. They seek satisfaction. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man to seek satisfaction. And a politician once said, free will is not as free as you think because all men always choose the perceived path of most pleasure. See, these statements are true. Everyone instinctively pursues satisfaction. It's, it's the reason that you do all that you do. From the moment you get up in the morning till you go back to bed, you're chasing after satisfaction. You're saying, no, I go to a job I hate every single day. But you get money that you can spend that on to get satisfied. Listen, uh, America is one of the most richest countries in the world. Listen to these stats. Uh, in 2012, we spent $118 billion on traveling abroad. Uh, yearly, as Americans, we spend $25 billion in order to attend sporting events. We spend $11 billion on movie tickets, $140 billion on recreational equipment, and $200 billion on electronics. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. We, we need satisfaction. We need contentment. We need to find the answer to this question. And so this weekend, I'm not addressing just Christ followers. I'm not addressing just non-Christians. I'm addressing human beings because we're all on this quest together. Uh, John Eldridge and Brent Curtis in their book, Sacred Romance, this is what they write. A yearning calls to us every moment of our lives. It whispers to us on the wind, invites us through the laughter of good friends, reaches out to us through the touch of someone we love. It's even present in times of great personal suffering. The illness of a child, the loss of a marriage, the death of a friend. Something calls to us through experiences like these and rouses an inconsolable longing deep within our heart, wakening in us a yearning for intimacy, for beauty, for adventure. And this longing is the most powerful part of any human personality. It fuels our search for meaning, for wholeness, for a sense of being truly alive. However we may describe this deep desire, it is the most important thing about us, our heart of hearts, the passion of our life. Now, do you agree with this? Are you honest enough to say, yes, I pursue satisfaction? That's one of the biggest questions of my life. I think we can all agree with this. And so here's the switch that we need to make in our minds and in our beliefs, especially as Christ followers this weekend. You see, far from being bad or evil, these deep desires that you have for satisfaction, these longings that you have for joy, they're not bad, they're actually good, and they were placed inside of you by a loving God. These desires, these longings, these yearning, even that frustration, that's a, gra a grace and a mercy of God. You see, we're built 
and hardwired to be delighted to find satisfaction. Even the very first few pages of the Word of God say this. What are the first four words uh, in the book of Genesis? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, um, in the beginning of what creation? So did God exist before creation? Yes. Did God exist before creation? Yes, because he created it. So how long was he existing before he created the world? I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Uh, how long did he exist before creating the world? Forever. Forever. A long time. Why did he wait so long to create the world and to create human beings? I don't know. He waited a while though, right? But whatever the answer to that question is, a conclusion that you can come to is that God must have not needed us all that badly. He waited so long to create us, right? He must not need us as much as we think that he needs us. And, and that sounds like a harsh truth, but that's actually true. The Bible says that. God does not need us. The Bible says um, that God is what we call self-sufficient. I know I've taught on this in the past, but it's so good to be reminded of this. You see, um, he existed before creation, and he wasn't lonely. Okay? He, wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't lacking anything. He wasn't discontent. He wasn't sad because he's always existed in what we call a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three personalities in one. Three gods in one. And so how he existed was a God the Father would look at God the Son, and he'd be filled with love and adoration and joy and satisfaction. And the Son would, would look at the Father and interact with him, and there would be love and joy and adoration. And that love, it's so big, it's so real, it's so pure, it's always existed as a third person of that trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so God was perfectly fine hanging out as a trinity for all of eternity. He did not need us. He didn't need us to be happy, and that's good news. That's really, really, really good news. Because if God needed us for happiness or for contentment, then our whole reason, our purpose for existence would be to serve his joy to serve his happiness, to serve his pleasure. But actually, the opposite is true. God created us in order to share his joy with us. At some point in history past, God looked around and said, what we have going on here, it is too good not to share. And so he handcrafted the universe. He put the stars in their place and the sun in place and the planets in orbit and made the, the earth and the plants and the animals and finally human beings in order to share his happiness, to share his joy with us. He's not the incomplete ones we are. See, God's whole purpose in creating us was to do us good. And so he created Adam and Eve with this deep hunger, these deep longings, these deep desires for satisfaction. God carved out into the human spirit a hole, this abyss, this, this, this holding vessel that could hold his joy and his satisfaction and his delight to the point of overflowing. And when things were functioning the way that God intended it, then he was delighted and human beings were delighted and he was glorified and everything was great. And odds are, this is not your view of Christianity, right? We view God as the robber of joy. We view God as the stealer of pleasure. But the opposite's really true. I mean, try to wrap your mind around this. Here is a happy God wanting to share his happiness. And Adam and Eve got to taste this. Whatever Adam and Eve could have ever want or desired, God provided. He was the source of all good things. Anything they lacked, God provided. In fact, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. They didn't even have clothes. 
they had nothing. They relied on God to provide them with everything that they needed, and he did. And in that way, Adam and Eve glorified God. They trusted in him to satisfy them, to create for them a happy present and a happy future, and they glorified him by doing that. And so you see, these desires inside of our hearts, they're relentless. They're ever-present, and that's okay. God made us this way. We have these desires so that we would seek after God and so that God could satisfy us. You were meant to ask this question, how can I find satisfaction? And you're meant to answer it with God. But the problem is we always look to fulfill those desires in things that aren't God, don't we? Rarely do we look at the intended source of satisfaction. We look to all these other things. We look and we look and we look and we never look to God, and because of that, we're unsatisfied, we're frustrated, we're discontent. Listen to these stats. Once again, American statistics. At some point in our lives, 20% of us will suffer from a mood disorder. 30% of us from an anxiety disorder. By the time we're 18 years old, 11% of Americans have been diagnosed with depression. 25% of women and 5% of men are taking antidepressants. 48% of women and 44% of men admit to eating in order to improve their mood. And we spend $10 billion a year on self-improvement books and seminars. That's as much as Hollywood makes. We spend all this money on all these consumer goods and all these vacations and all these things, and yet we are some of the least satisfied people on earth. We look and we look and we medicate and we keep searching and we keep searching everywhere but God. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve did, is it not? Adam and Eve, with the help of the serpent, uh, the serpent they begin to second-guess God. Um, they second-guessed his goodness and ability to satisfy him. And what Adam and Eve said to themselves is, we can provide for ourselves satisfaction and happiness apart from God. We can do this. God's holding out on us. He's holding out on some satisfaction, some delight, so we can give this to ourselves. And so they acted, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and in this book, um, The Unity of the Bible by Daniel Fuller, he points out that uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they were given to Israel by Moses after they were released uh, from captivity in Egypt. And so uh, the Israelites had spent hundreds of years in Egypt, and they had thousands of gods, so uh, the Israelites needed to know the character of God. And th th this term, the knowledge of good and evil, would have rung a bell with them. Because when uh, one of their kids uh, approached the age 12, 13, 14, where they were mature, they were ready to be independent, uh, these kids were said to know the difference between good and evil, between good and bad. They knew the consequences of their choices. Um, they knew... Um, they knew how to live life on their own. They were ready to be independent. And this is what Adam and Eve tried to do with God. They tried to become independent from him, to find satisfaction apart from him. And was the result what they hoped for? No. The result was anything what they hoped for. When they ate, what happened? They were, they were filled with um, shame. The Bible says they were naked and they were ashamed. They finally felt the horror of being cut off from God's love and care. And now apart from God, it was up to them, up to them and their own, um, their own willpower, their own mind, their own strength to provide for themselves happiness and a happy future. And because of this, they felt completely inadequate. And now they were naked and they were ashamed. And so in a feeble attempt, they said, we're independent now. 
we've broken things off with God. We might as well try to live this life. They clumsily fashioned fig leaves. And like us today, they wanted to hide from themselves and hide from God how desperately they were in need of God for absolutely everything. They tried to become independent, and they learned you can't do that. You remember Jesus' words in Matthew 18? Unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're not independent. We desperately need God to fulfill these desires that we have. And, and it's so sad. Uh, we pursue all these things like money and wealth and power and achievements and career, and we think that that'll make us satisfied. And oftentimes, the people that have all that stuff, uh, that are the, the rock stars and the athletes in our society, that the ones that seem that they should be satisfied, if they're honest enough, they'll tell you they're not. Uh, take a look at this clip uh, from Tom Brady. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. With three Super Bowl rings, he already has Hall of Fame credentials, even if he never played another game. But he's only 30 and just entering his prime. You think he's going to go down as one of the greatest players ever? I hope he goes down as the best player ever, not one of the greatest. I hope he goes down as the greatest. I mean, the sky's the limit. Which of the rings do you like the best? What's your favorite ring? My favorite ring. We always said, and I said always, the next one. The next one's the best. He's an honest man, right? And Jeremiah 2 has a, has a picture of this. In Jeremiah 2, God says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the living God. There's this river, this, this fountain of joy and satisfaction. They've forsaken me. They've turned their back on me. And they begin to dig for themselves wells, cisterns, broken wells that can hold no water. And so there's an overflowing source of joy right here. But our natural inclination, because Adam and Eve are our mom and our dad, uh, we naturally start digging for ourselves these broken cisterns, these wells that can't hold water. And we dig and we dig and we dig and we search and we search. And we finally get just a little bit of lukewarm, tepid, dirty water and we drink it, and it slakes our thirst for a second. We have to keep digging, and have to keep digging, and have to keep digging. And this is every single person that has ever lived. And this is why it's so sad that, that Christianity rarely addresses this issue. Because in my mind, this is one of the big truths that proves that what Christianity says is true. Uh, listen to what C.S. Lewis says. This, the Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger... There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. So if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably the earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that's so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else for which they're only a kind of coffee 
or an echo or a mirage. And when you view it from the biblical perspective, when you view all of us chasing after this question, where do I find satisfaction, it just looks ridiculous sometimes, and it looks so sad. I mean, there have been years in my life, months, weeks, years, seasons in my life where I've desperately sought satisfaction in things that are not God. And my poor wife, she had to live with a man like that for the first few years of our marriage. And and sometimes when I'm counseling someone, and rather they're, and whether it's a son or a daughter that's gone wayward or they just come in on their own accord, but someone who is uh, struggling with addiction or living a lifestyle contrary to God, who's chasing after satisfaction and drugs and alcohol and relationships or career and money or power, the thing that I don't tell them is just be content. I don't say that to them. I don't say your desire's out of whack. You just want too much. I don't say that when I'm counseling them, because I've been there and because now I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it takes everything inside of me not to yell out, you are settling. You're settling. You've got to be kidding me. There's something so much better. You created for so much more than drugs and alcohol and sex and power and esteem and money. You're settling. So the big problem in our lives as Christians is that we look around the world and we see this crazy sight. We see rock stars and we see movie stars going from one addiction to another, from one marriage or relationship to another, always chasing after satisfaction, chasing after delight. We see our politicians lying and stealing and having affairs and blackmailing and maligning others for power or acclaim. We see a whole generation of college kids drinking away four years of their lives we see crazy, this crazy world desperately seeking satisfaction in whatever sinful ways that they possibly can. And because we're Christians and we don't want to be lumped in with those that deny God, uh, we think that our problem is these desires. We think our problem is that if we just learn to be content, then we would grow, then we would mature. And so we try to stifle them. We try to suppress them. And this doesn't work. That's not the way you were built. God built you to be stunned. He built you to be delighted. And those desires, they're never going to go away. There will never be a vacation for them. But so long, the church has told people to stop wanting, to stop yearning, to ignore your desires, to numb them, to beat them down. And a lot of people think that that's what Christianity is. Christianity is about denying yourself pleasure. It's about denying yourself satisfaction, but the biblical truth is the exact opposite. Your main responsibility as a Christ follower is to pursue happiness at all costs, to be as happy and as satisfied as you possibly can in God. Now, your desires may be misdirected. You may be settling for the passing pleasures of sin, but your desires, they, they can't be too strong. A lot of people think that God's angry or he's annoyed because you're at unrest or you're discontent or you're frustrated, but it's not true. God doesn't think your desires are too strong. He thinks that they are too weak. Time and time again, he commands us to thirst after God, to hunger after God, to chase after God, to long after God, to run to God. God says in the words of C.S. Lewis, another famous quote, it's not that you're too hard to please. It's that you're far too easily pleased, right? So God says, don't suppress those. You were meant to ask this question, how can I be satisfied? 
and you're meant to find the answer. It's in God himself. And that's why I love the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, we see a man named David who seems to have it all. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's the promised one. The Savior is going to come from him. He has all the money, all the wealth, all the esteem, all the power that, that you can possibly dream of. And yet, here we see a man who is called a man after God's own heart. A man who refuses to settle. If you have your Bibles, open it to Psalm 16. And I'm just going to read two or three of these psalms in their entirety and listen to the heart of this man who refuses to settle, who's found the answer to this question. Psalm 16, verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Turn over to Psalms 27. It's a famous psalm. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. And though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. His life's falling apart. He's at war. Evil men are chasing him. Listen to what he says. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. But I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Here's a man who has answered that question. And next week, we're going to talk about how David runs from one of his sons, Absalom. And uh, one of his um, psalms is recorded in Psalm 63. It's while he's in the desert. And listen to what he says here, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. He's in the desert. He's fearing for his life. He's about to lose his kingdom. And what does he seek? He seeks God. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Listen to this. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And here is a man who has found the answer to this question. Where do I find satisfaction? So a lot of us need to rethink life this weekend. We need to realize that Christianity, it's not about giving up your joy. It's not about stifling those desires. It's not about giving up your satisfaction. Christianity is about fighting for your joy. It's about giving up inferior satisfaction for the superior satisfaction that's in God. Whatever you've longed for or craved for your whole entire life, you can have that right now. Your joy can be made full in God. Nothing else can do this. Money can't buy this. Getting drunk can't do this. Having sex can't do this. Relationships can't do this. Only being with God can do this. And what God wants more than anything else for you right now is for you to seek him. That's why you were created. He longs to share himself with you. That's what he wants. He doesn't want your performance. He doesn't want your sweat and your tears. He doesn't want your discipline. He wants you. And the good news this weekend is that the path towards God is 100% clear. There is nothing blocking the way between you and God because of Jesus Christ. He lived the life you couldn't live. He's already died the death that you should have died. You can go and chase after God. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 29. We all know this verse, but listen to it. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That's God's promise. And God is not one to parcel out his joy in little bits and pieces. What you'll find in God is that he's inexhaustible. No one, no one has devoted themselves to seeking after God, to finding their satisfaction in God, to chasing wholeheartedly after God. No one who's done that ever says, well, I guess that's it. I guess I've come to the end. That's all there is. No way. He's inexhaustible. You will seek and you will seek and you will seek and you will find joy and satisfaction again and again and again all the way into eternity. And I know that what I'm saying this weekend is kind of hard to comprehend. There's some of you here this weekend that this sounds good and you, you want to do this. You want to start chasing after God. You believe that he's the source of satisfaction, but, but you've, you've made a lot of mistakes in your life. And you have all this guilt. And you have all this shame. And you have all this sorrow. You just kind of feel trapped in your life. And you think that before you go towards God, you have to kind of clean yourself up. And you think the solution out of slavery and into freedom is through going to church or through books or through counselors or through self-discipline or through willpower or for works. But, but the answer 
a solution, the way out of bondage and into freedom. It's as simple as falling in love. It's as simple as, as chasing after God and looking, meditating on God and worshiping and praising Him in response. And when you do this, I promise something amazing will happen. In 2 Corinthians 3.17 3, and 18, the ESV, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, beholding the glory of the Lord, gazing at Him, chasing after Him, seeking Him, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. And that's the answer to our question. Where do we find satisfaction in God and God alone? Anybody in this room this weekend found satisfaction elsewhere? No. You've got to quit settling. And maybe this weekend is a time where you drive a stake in the ground and say, enough. Enough is enough. Time and time again, I've sought satisfaction here. I've sought pleasure here. And time and time again, I've come up empty-handed. And no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard work it is, from this day forward, I'm going to pursue God and God alone. All of us need to get to that point in our life. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. I'm going to ask you to do two things this week if you're serious about this. I'm going to ask you to fast. I'm going to ask you to feast. Now, first word fast, that's kind of weird, okay? We don't handle snakes here. Um, we're not, I'm not going to ask you to give up food for like a month or something, but here's what I'm going to ask, ask you to do. We have got to quit settling. When we settle for things that are, that are less satisfying than God, not only does it lead to sin and dishonor God, but it'll never satisfy us. And so right now, I want you to think about areas where you're settling. Think about it. What does your mind naturally drift towards when you have downtime? When you got an hour off, right before you drift off to sleep, what do you think about? Odds are that's how you're settling. Okay, so this week, just for maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, and when the kids are in bed, when it's 8 o'clock, work for the day's done, dinner's done, you just want to veg out, and you want to reach for your smartphone or your tablet or for the TV remote for that romance novel, I'm going to ask you to stop and not do that and fast from that just for a week. Okay? Just take a little bit of pleasure out of your life for a week. And the reason I do this is because when we fast from food or from uh, entertainment or from these mind-numbing things that we always do, uh, two things happen. The things that control us, they're going to come really, really uh, up clear to the surface. And secondly, uh, what we're going to say to God is, God, in a small way this week, I'm going to refuse to settle. Very small way. Okay? In a very small way, I'm going to refuse to settle and I trust that you will satisfy me. So I want you to fast. And then secondly, because you're already reading your psalms, when you fast, I just want you to read your psalms during that time period, and I want you to feast. So I'm going to ask you to do one extra step. After you read your psalms, for a minute or a two minutes or three minutes, just pray. Just pray. Okay? So don't numb your brains. Don't veg out. Pick up your Bible and read, and for five or ten minutes, just pray. Just talk to him. What truths came up to you in the Psalms? God, you're faithful. Yes, you are. Talk to him about that. How has he been faithful in your life? Or God desires a broken and contrite heart. Yes, he does. Talk to him about that. In what ways is my heart not broken? That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just for five or ten minutes. And it might be weird at first. Five minutes might be long. 
But by the end of the week, 10, 15, 20 minutes, it'll be no sweat. You can even pray the Psalms if you want. But don't worry, I'm not going to add another uh, item on your spiritual to-do list next week. I'm not going to do that. Um, All I want you to do is read the Psalms every day and then pray. And and here's my hope and prayer. This is not not performance, okay? This is not let's earn God's favor. My hope and my prayer is that at some point in your life, you can stop living off of secondhand experiences with God. My hope and my prayer is that you won't rely on on Mike Lee's relationship with God or my relationship with God or the author of the book you're reading's relationship with God to get you through the week, but that you will be able to go to the source. My prayer is that you'll slowly become comfortable going to God. I don't, I don't got this. And I say this because I need it so badly. I've only been doing this over the past few years of my life and, and my life has changed. In fact, um, I have this quote hanging up in my cubicle. Uh, Mike gets a big office, but I get a cubicle. And uh, <laughs> it's from Blaise Pascal, and he writes this. This is from his journal. In the year of grace, 1654, it's an old dude, Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening till about half an hour after midnight, fire in all caps. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and learned, certainty, joy, certainty, emotion, sight, joy, forgetfulness of the world and of all outside of God, joy, 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 tears of joy. My God, will you leave me? Let me not ever be separated from you. That's from a quiet time. So you guys in on this? Gonna do this? Just a week, five days, not even seven days, five days. Monday through Friday, try it. Maybe some of you aren't ready for this. Uh, Maybe this is your first time here, you're still kicking the tires of Christianity. You don't even know this guy, you don't want to spend hours with him, you don't know what's in the Bible, you're kind of afraid to read it. And so um, what we've done is is we have this thing called starting point, and uh, they're small groups. Um, but it's, it's a beginning small group. It's a, it's a really comfortable, relaxed group. And the purpose of, of these groups are just, if you're exploring Christianity, if you, want, you don't fully believe in it, even if you're against it, you just want to ask some questions and have some of those questions answered, this is the perfect place for you. They're going to start up in September. You can find more about it at gethope.net slash starting point. And uh, there's going to be one for the Raleigh campus, one for the Holly Springs campus, one for the West Cary campus. And there's going to be one that meets in Apex too. The facilitators are great. They're awesome. But maybe that's for you. Maybe you want satisfaction, but you're not sure if you can really find it in God, so this would be a great idea for you. So, um, all right, would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, God, I just pray that you'll use it. (laughs) That you'll use my feeble attempt to convey this truth. God, you want our joy. You want us to be delighted. You want us to chase you. You want us to seek after you. You stand at the door of our hearts and you knock and you knock and you knock every minute, every hour, every day. So God, I pray that our guilt and our shame or our thought that we'd have to clean ourselves up wouldn't keep us from you this week. God, I pray that 
that thousands of people from all three campuses would earnestly and honestly seek you. Maybe it's the first step they've taken in a long time towards you. God, I pray that you would reward that, that you would bless that. And as we seek you, God, I pray that you would show up. I pray that we would find you. And that finally, once and for all, that question in our hearts of where can I find satisfaction, that it would be answered. You could do amazing things. And it's in your name we pray.